Hi, this is Damon Pistolka, host of the Faces of Business, where I talk with interesting people sharing life and business experiences to entertain, engage, build community, and provide information to help others succeed. If you're interested in learning more about one of our guests or how we are helping business owners generate wealth and build businesses they can sell or succeed at Exit Your Way, you can find more information on our website, ExitYourWay.com, or by contacting me directly, Damon at ExitYourWay.com. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, everyone. Welcome once again to the Faces of Business. I'm your host, Damon Postalka, and with me today, we're I've got Andrew Lavoy. We're going to be talking about solving manufacturing hiring challenges. So we've got Andrew here from Next Level Group. Andrew, welcome. Yes, thank you, Damon. I appreciate uh, the invite here. Oh, this is going to be awesome because I think hiring is on a lot of people's minds these days. And I think it's something that that <laughs> I don't, I just don't think you could talk enough about it, quite honestly, right now. So happy to get into this a little bit. Now, Andrew, you didn't start out, though, in recruiting or HR like like a lot of people. Let's talk about your background and kind of how you got where we're at today. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep this short because uh, <laughs> some people will ask me and I can talk a long time about this, but uh yeah, I mean, I uh, years ago, um, you know, my kind of my, I guess, equipment and trucks and cranes and just heavy equipment or heavy duty in general, agriculture and whatnot. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of go down the path of dealerships. And I always, as a kid, I always loved being around machinery and my grandfather owned businesses and, you know, he was in the machinery world. And um, so I, I've, I've always been really passionate about it. And um so I, I early on um, in my career, I, um, I did own some uh, forestry equipment um, and, you know, I was young. I, I made, you know, some mistakes and, uh, you know, kind of went down the wrong path um, and I asked for help, which was uh, which was which was great. And then through that process, I learned that I needed to mature more and I just I needed to go a different way. Um, and I wanted to stay connected to that industry. So I went down the dealership path and, uh, quickly got hired on with, um, with, uh, with a company and kind of went through the ranks with them actually quickly. And, uh, yeah, I, I went into management and, um, I was on three or four moves with the company. And at the time I was 32 years old and I looked at that and I just, I really didn't think that I wanted to continue on and continue the moves and and all of that like all the relocation that comes with uh with being yeah. in management and and whatnot for the next 30 years and that was the reality you know over the next 30 years there's probably four or five more moves so i wanted to stay again connected to an industry that i loved and i wanted to kind of leverage all my relationships that i had built over the past um you know 10 15 years Mm -hmm. So uh, basically, um, yeah, I, I, I bumped into a gentleman that was in recruitment and I was fascinated by it. I'm like, so I can help people at the same time and stay connected to an industry. So I started calling some of the competitors that I had been dealing with and, and, and whatnot, some friends and quickly jumped in like, you know, full, full out. I really didn't know what I was getting into. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I did hire a coach and some different things and, um, you know, I, I did things the right way. I took it slow. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I didn't really think I was going to build a business. And then quickly I realized, whoa, there's an opportunity here to build a business. And uh, that's kind of how I got into to recruitment. And I, I'm proud to say that, uh, you know, right now, the clients that started with me 10 years ago were just over 90% retention rate from those clients that we've had wow. in the last 10 years. So I'm pretty proud of that statistic for sure. Oh yeah, no doubt. Because, you know, keeping, keeping a client in, in any business for 10 years is tough, but in recruiting with the changes in, in the job market with changes in business and, and different requirements, it's got to be very challenging. Now you're not in an area uh, of, of the world either where you've got tons of i mean do you recruit more for local or regional companies or do you do nationally national recruiting 
So we have a select client base that we deal with throughout Canada and into the United States. Uh, okay. Actually, just last week, uh, we placed somebody in, in Georgia. We've placed people in Hawaii, right. um, New York, Very cool. in, in Seattle. Actually, in Seattle, uh, we have a, nice. client, a couple of clients there. Um, and obviously, throughout Canada. Canada is probably our, our biggest market. Um, yeah. but you're right locally, not, not so much locally we're yeah. you know, we're, we live on Prince Edward Island, which is a small Island, uh, uh, you know, Maritimes, Atlantic Canada kind of thing, yeah. uh, a population of 170,000 people. So, wow. Wow. That's cool. So when you talk about recruiting, you know, you've been in this a little over a decade and so let's think back. So we're in 2012 when you started this. So we're coming out of the coming out of the recession, you're a few years after that, things are starting to heat up again. What's, what's a couple things that, that you go, man, I never thought this would have happened in the, in the industry, in the recruiting, or, or what are some of the things that are really have surprised you? Well, I guess there's a few things, um, you know, obviously the biggest is that, you know, it went from a client market driven market to a candidate driven market. And we can talk maybe a little bit more about that in a minute, but um, probably the biggest thing is the the shortage of skilled trades and um, and you know that that probably surprised me the most just because you know people now they go to school they want to do more they you know they're, they're not only I'll say just getting a grade twelve education but like they're going to school and you know you would think that skilled trades would be you know it's it's a quick course. You get, you become a journeyman quick. You get a chance to work with different companies and try different things and new skills and upgrade. Um, so for me, that that's been, um, kind of, um, an opening experience. Cause when we first started 10 years ago, probably about 75% of, of our placements were down that skilled trades Avenue. And, um, and, uh, and, and now it's, it's very few skilled trades and, uh, it, it's more so, on the leadership side or QA, QC production type mm -hmm. roles. Um, and uh, yeah, not so much on the skilled trades uh, side and, and, and we're okay with that now, but we've really had to adapt and kind of change our, our thinking on that for sure. So when you say you, the shortage of skilled trades, do you mean that you have less roles to fill in it or less people to fill roles that are open in it? less people it, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a uh, i'll say a merry-go-round so you know somebody's here yeah. one day and then they're over with this company the next day and 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 they're demanding and and it loops quite well into a candidate driven market where you know 10 years ago they would leave for a quarter or 50 cents or yeah. maybe just uh you know different hours or or whatnot or even a laptop you know sometimes yeah. you know Whereas now, um, you know, they're, they're asking for five and $6 more an hour at times um, mm -hmm. and, and, or, you know, big pensions or, or whatnot. And people are thinking a lot differently now than they were before. Um, but they're also, they want, they want more on the skilled trade side than we've ever had. So, you know, they want a bigger pension or a better pension or better benefits or, you know, Friday afternoons off or just different things. It's not just, it is about more money, but it's also more about, you know, more at the end of the day in terms of the overall package kind of thing. So. Okay. Yeah. Because, because I know that you hear similar things across the U S but, and, and North America, I mean, everywhere you hear this. So this is something I wonder a lot. Is it just because we've done a poor job of educating kids of what the skilled trades really are there for them because these are good jobs. These are good jobs. I mean, and I, I see, you know, we've talked about before, my son just graduated from college, but my son had friends that didn't go down the skilled trades route. Yeah. Didn't go to college or even worse yet dropped out of college, you know, halfway through full of debt. And, and didn't even consider the skilled trades because no one had ever talked to them about what you can do as a pipe fitter, as a welder, as a, you know, electrician, plumber, whatever the heck it is. Yeah. Do you think it's just that we haven't shown kids that option enough? I, I think we're no longer in the high schools. We used to be in the high school. I know like when I went through school, you know, you'd see a counselor, you would see there'd be, you know, job fairs or 
orientations or just different things. Like it could be anything from, I'll say police academy to a ton of yeah. skilled trades or different things. And we don't really, I, I can't speak for down in the yeah. States, but I know locally, we just don't see that anymore. And, um, and, and when we see people going to school here or sorry, at the tail end of their school, they're already thinking I'm going out West. I'm going to the oil patch. I'm going somewhere different. Um, and you know, they want the fly in fly out roles and, and um, it's it's hard to compete with that because that's driving the local market up. Whereas yeah. you know before, and I'll just throw crazy numbers out, but before maybe it was twenty five dollars an hour. Then people are going to the oil patch for say seventy five. Well, locally you, you just can't compete with that. Yeah, right? yeah. And, and even now, like we're seeing, you know, those some depending on the industry, whatnot. But like some of the skilled trades are, you know, locally are you know thirty to thirty to thirty eight dollars an hour. And, and that's fine, but still at the end of the day, it still doesn't really compete with, you know, the, the oil patch or some other places, right? So the ones that are going through, that's kind of where we're losing them to. Um, and, and again, that's, I'm speaking locally, but uh, there's certainly not enough people going into it. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, we see that, that effect of the, the, the oil fields and the skilled trades is, is understated, I think, a lot. And you, you see it a lot more as you're talking there, but you just can't compete. I mean, because those, I've been, hell, I worked in the oil fields. Uh, and I know what those, those people can do if they work in the oil fields because they go there, they work like heck for whatever it is, two or three weeks in a row. You don't take days off. You work as long as you can, as hard as you can. And you go home for a week or two or whatever the schedule is and, and come back and do it again. And you make, you make 30, 40% more than you could at, at home. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and the other side of it too, is we're seeing a lot more people go into programming and security, yeah. like, you know, IT security and, and just IT in, in general. And, yeah. um, you know, we're, we didn't really like growing up, we really didn't have as much of that. Right. So, yeah. um, and now that's offered everywhere. Right. So. Yeah. Um, and then, and then you're competing with, um, you know, turbine technicians and there's just, it's branched out so much that the, the talent has thinned out and everybody's fighting for the same talent. So it becomes mm. an issue where, you know, I'm working with you today, then I'm over here tomorrow and then over here the next day. So that's, that's kind of where that market is, is really struggling. And, um, I think that's why, you know, when the manufacturing sector started calling and we started kind of going down that path. That was a really good, the timing was perfect for us um, uh, yeah. to go down that path for sure. <clears throat> so when you're, you're talking with manufacturers today, mm. what are some of the challenges that they're really having? When you talked about, A, first of all, getting good people in the door, and then we'll talk about keeping them in just a minute. So getting good people in the door, even to come interview with them. Yeah. What are some of the things that they're really struggling with there? You, you mentioned pay, but that's, that's just part of it. Yeah. And, and when I'm, when I'm recruiting or I'm speaking with people, I try not to talk about pay and, and yeah. whatnot. I mean, that's, there has to be a greater motivation. There has to be pain points on both sides and, and it has to be truly a, a match or a marriage or whatnot. Um, but I, I guess, a couple of things is it's twofold and I have to be careful how I say this, but um, when, when we're speaking with clients, it's, it's a shift more so on the client side, because one of the things that when we sit down and we talk, it's about making sure you give us enough time that we can check those boxes that you need, but also is that perfect person out there. You may have to settle a little bit, but have you ever thought about changing the job descriptions a little bit? Or what about, you know, this person may be really, really strong, three out of four boxes, but maybe Sally over here is really good and she could maybe take that fourth box and maybe we could change some job descriptions a little bit and maneuver around that. But also the entry level people are not getting enough attention and, and the ability to groom and because they want that perfect home run. And again, as I'm kind of saying that about the client, it also comes back to they're also understaffed. They don't have time to train, right? Yeah. So it is yeah. a vicious, it, it's a vicious circle of having that communication. What does this look like? Planning for the future. You know, when we sit down with clients, we want to know what's your short term, what's your long term, what's your one year, what's your three year, what's your five year plan? Because we want to truly be 
with you in a partnership where it's more proactive and less reactive. So if we're always on the reactive, you're maybe not going to have the best experience through that hiring experience, right? So, um, you know, we want to, we want to give you the best experience, but we, we want to be able to have time and provide you that, that perfect candidate that you're looking for. Um, but one of the things is we just, we find that there needs to be a little bit more time spending on the entry level and how do yeah. we keep those people? Because some of the companies that I work with, they think that, well, we can't lose this guy at the top, but it's the guys at the bottom that's costing them the most money with all the turnover and all the training and all the every day. It's a revolving door. And and you're at the guys respectfully when I say at the bottom, I'm saying entry level positions, mm -hmm. um, those entry level positions need to have that opportunity to to grow and to you need to treat that person with the exact same respect as you're treating the v, uh, the vp or whatnot mm -hmm. and that's yeah. where a lot of the times when i see turnover i'm seeing turnover that's happening friday because their manager is not around friday afternoon and they can't get answers they get frustrated well why am i here friday afternoon? how why do i have to make these decisions on a friday well what's happening why am i going through this so that's really where we're struggling um, and maneuvering through all of this is coaching the client with pay attention to those guys on the floor, have allow them to have the answers that they need, have that communication, have those toolbox meetings, what, you know, a Friday afternoon, once a month or once a quarter, or, you know, have awards or, you know, give them a little something or a pizza party, whatever. But how can you be different in, 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 in something that we're all, we've always done the same way. Right. So, yeah. you know, trying to, when we're selling something, one of the first questions I ask, if, if I interviewed with you today and you wanted to make me an offer, what would that look like? And then I'm like, okay, so that offer that you just presented to me is the exact same thing across the street, or it's the exact same thing over there. How can we sweeten this up a little bit? What makes you different? Let's think of it in championships, Stanley cups and, you know, uh, mm -hmm. Lombardi trophies and, and all of that. Like, think about, like, think about that. We've recently done a video on this, um, is, you know, how do you become the, 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 uh, the Stanley cup or the champion of your industry, your sector, your region, mm -hmm. your area or whatnot. And, and, and what does that look like? What, what would that take? Sometimes it's not a lot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, I'm glad you went down this. I didn't even know we were going to talk about this, but you, you're, you are a hundred percent on is that, that the hidden cost of turnover at the entry level positions is crazy. is crazy. And that, that turnover drives more people trying to cover more positions that are in higher levels, trying to cover the, the, their people that they don't have there to doing things. So they can't train new people. It makes it even worse because this is the first time that I've talked to a couple people about this in the last few months. And, and you brought up the point that you're understaffed already. So it's really hard to train pe new people coming in, but yet those are the people that you got to train the most because that's where your turnover is the highest. Yeah. Oh my goodness. hundred percent. And I didn't want to go in that circle, but I, we, we started down there and I just, yeah, couldn't yeah. Stop. <laughs> no, no, but you're right. You're right. It's, it's like, and, and you, you wove in the other piece too. And, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but you've got a workforce coming to work for us now or coming into these businesses now that has different expectations then the generation, the Gen Xers, the millennial, you know, millennials, we already know we've been in that a while, but the Gen Xers before them, drastically different expectations. I mean, they don't want to be left to figure things out. They want someone to help them through it and, and do these kind of things. So when you were talking about the Friday afternoon decision with somebody being gone and someone <clears throat> having to make an uncomfortable decision or, or not know what they're doing, that's simply not a, not a fact in, in in their lives now and they don't want to be a part of it yeah so oh <laughs> so <laughs> how we could so, talk for two hours on this yeah one, one oh question. no i know i'm just trying to i had a whole bunch of questions here but i'm, I'm thinking about different <laughs> ones because this is this is something i think though that once manufacturers figure it out they can be that Stanley Cup manufacturer, the one where people come to work. 
mm -hmm. want to come to work. One of new people, existing people want to stay there because I really think that you brought up a great point there by if they do that little bit of extra that can set them apart from everyone else, those problems go away yeah, or can absolutely. be severely mitigated. And if you could wake up in, a, in any business today in the, in the employee driven job market that it is, and you could say hiring people is not a challenge for me now, how much, how, how much better would you sleep at night? hundred <laughs> percent. And, and, and there's a piece that I haven't even spoken of about this is a lot of this turnover can be stopped if you have the right exit interviews. And a lot of companies think that an exit interview is just, you know what, it's, it's fine. They've already given their notice. You know, we countered offered with, uh, you know, matching the offer. They chose to go down a different path, but it's, it's not about the money. Like when it comes to exit interviews, what we're trying to show our clients is that don't think of it in lines of matching the offer or what, like it's the yeah. intel you get from that. So, you know, maybe I, maybe I leave and, and I tell you some uncomfortable things in that, that inner, that exit interview, but then maybe you say the same thing and then somebody else says the same thing. Maybe there's issues that they really didn't know that they had. And mm -hmm. you can tell a lot from an exit interview and, and we have, and I, I, I gotta be, I have to be extremely careful uh, going down this path, but you know, we, we, we know of somebody right now, their exit interviews have extremely ramped up and you wouldn't believe how many people that they have saved in the last six to 12 months. It's, it's, it's amazing to see, and they're really not doing anything any different is they're sitting down and they're listening to, well, I want, I want more. I wanted to do this. You know, I'm not, I don't have enough responsibility. Like what, where, what's your plan for me? And all of a sudden it just becomes a communication thing or, or some dialogue where they've had no communication. They've been on the floor for two years mm -hmm. and there's been no communication. They've just been left there and, 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 and whatnot. And, and all of a sudden it's like, now that you're, now you're interested in where I want to go in the company and all of this, like, why haven't had this conversation a year ago or six months ago? So now all of a sudden it's like, Oh, you know what? Like we can create a roadmap to you to get, or for you to get there. And, and here's how we're going to do it. So it, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, maybe I'm going to stay. And, and when I, when I speak with somebody and one of the things we try to train our team here is that if you have a counter offer with one of your candidates, don't, don't be upset, but figure out, did did that client solve that pain point? So what if the pain point was, I don't know, um, benefits? Well, mm -hmm. one of the first things I like to ask the candidate, well, that's fantastic. I'm glad that, you know what? I'm glad that you guys were able to compromise and, and you did this. And so did they solve pain point A, B, and C? Yes, they did. Okay, that's fantastic. On the flip side of that, well, how was your exit interview? Did, did they solve uh, pain point A, B, and C? Uh, no, they didn't. They just gave me more money. It's like, whoa. Okay, so what happens in six months from now? So, so there's there's two different avenues with that, but that's one of the things that we try to work with our clients is that the importance of exit interviews are more important now than they've ever been to minimize your turnover, and especially especially on the lower on the entry level positions, on the VPs and whatnot. Typically, they're going because there's a different avenue or there's a there's there's a different flame that they're they're chasing at yeah. that point. But for entry level positions, let, let's be honest, like that's that's what can save it, right? Well, and and you bring up such a great point with the exit interview. You you and you may not be able to save the person you're talking to at that point, but there may be 200 other people out there that are working out there that you just found the idea that's going to save the 20 that are thinking about leaving next week. And that's the thing that I think is so powerful in, the, in what you're saying about the exit interviews is that you could be making the changes with everybody else that would stop it overall by understanding what's happening in, a, in an area or overall in the company or, you know, but you go through a half a dozen of those exit interviews and you could just figure out these are the, these are the six things we're going to work out or they've got one or two that, that rise to the top that if we take care of these, but you're right. If, if people yeah. aren't leaving, you don't have to replace them. 
Absolutely. Because one of the things I do find in entry level positions is that, and I'll, I'll just say, you know, let's say a production tech, for example, yeah, um, or packaging associate or something like that. Well, you know, if you're going from one company to another across the street for a packaging associate, typically the way that it, it works is that, okay, I, I'm, I'm missing this right now. This is my, my pain point. But over here, they fix that. But also over here, sometimes there's it's creating another pain point that this company had already solved for you. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's about having that dialogue and that communication and, and whatnot. So yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's an important piece for, for our clients. Yeah. Yeah. Tavita says eggs and interviews are vital to getting a pulse on what may be broken within the culture of the organization that is driving a turnover. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And it's, I, I never thought, definitely missed opportunities because and and so if you're it, so are you talking to your clients about doing exit interviews before people exit absolutely absolutely <laughs> I mean, as you say that i'm just like why the heck aren't we just bringing employees in randomly and 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 okay so first of all just think of it as an employee i'm a i'm an entry-level employee and hey you need to go to go talk to the hr person oh no what's wrong and if it's a good experience how awesome would that be for yeah. you to help create the good flow in the, in the business? I'll, I'll tell you something, and this is a personal experience, a little off topic for a second, but how important it, it is for toolbox meeting, they're called a million different names, but toolbox yeah, yeah. meetings, meetings, whatever. How important we, we used to, when I was back in the dealership world and in management, we used to have it, but it was more of a, you know, a joking around, have a fun, but it was just more of like, you know, just let's release the tension. Let's, let's just take 30 minutes and, and enjoy good conversation that we're not talking about work and get to know each other. And one of the things that I quickly found was I had one of my best, best guys on the floor. Um, I noticed there was a bit of a change in behavior and I could never figure it out. And one day he came to me and he was, he was, he was to the point where he was going to give his notice. And like every other employer, I didn't want to lose that guy. I wanted to know what happened. And I, and it was a Friday afternoon and we just started having conversations and you know what his breaking point was. And he said, he said, Andrew, I love working with you, but he said, I'm tired of being in the field and being asked for stuff. And I can't give anything. He was like, our clients are spending thousands of dollars on repairs and thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars in equipment and this, that, and the other thing. And he was like, they asked me for something for free. He said, all they want is a keychain or a pair of gloves or, or a hat or something. He's like, I don't even care if it's a $5 item. And he was like, and you told me it wasn't in our budget this year. And I sat back and I, and, and like what that did to me that day, yeah. you have no idea. Like I couldn't yeah, believe that awesome. something so like I was going to lose my best yeah. guy over, yeah. over this. Like, I'm like, yeah. this, this can't, this cannot happen. And I brought that following Monday, I brought everybody in and we, we had a, we had an amazing conversation and I'm like, guys, like I can't do this without you and, and vice versa. And like your input and your ideas are more important than mine. You yeah. guys are in the field, you're on the shop floor, you're doing this, your, your interaction is more important with the clients than mine is. How can we write this? And, and, and the stuff they started sharing, we quickly, and, and I, I actually, I have the word right over here. Um, one of the things that we did that year in the next 18 months, we went from one of the bottom shops, we went to the top, we went to the top and we received an award for it. And it wasn't anything I did. It wasn't, yes. anything, it was over, it was over a three at the time, $3 and 50 cent pair of gloves. And yeah. I was able to keep that guy. But like, what happens if I would have lost them over $3 and 50 cents made no, wouldn't have made any yeah. sense. Right. Just, yeah. just because we didn't communicate. That is such a great story and such a great point because there are, it's the little things that matter in most, in most cases, you know, yeah. and, and sometimes I even look at I, before I've had, I've had people in, in situations where, you know, they would quit. Well, it, sometimes it's like, I never get to see my kids baseball game or, or hockey game or whatever they want to see it because their shift coincides with it. You know, if you just let them once a month or every other week or something, get get a couple hours. It, it could be the difference between, like you said, losing a good employee or not. And I just, I look at manufacturing now where you work. And I think that, and this is something I did want to talk about is if we really rethink the way that we run manufacturing 
companies. And I'm talking about production because we all know that we can do the remote in the some of the office areas and 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 some of the other ancillary places that aren't there touching things, right? And moving product. It's, it's those places though, where we're touching product that if we can be more flexible and give people uh, within reason, obviously, but if you can let somebody take some time off and somebody else fill in and, and do a back and forth with similar, similar work, people that are working, I think that is like the, the panacea of giving people the flexibility to really keep them around because if mm -hmm. i if i see anything as you look at the younger workforce and i have mm -hmm. no frame of reference i haven't hired this but just raising and being around kids mm -hmm. is the flexibility that they like to have yeah. and if you can give a younger person and even think someone with kids they for some reason they've got to do some go to a doctor's appointment with a with a of a kid or something like that. And if they could switch with a worker, a different worker on a different shift for an hour, mm -hmm. what's a big deal if they can schedule it, you know, it's, and we, because we get so used to, Hey, you work from 12 to eight, you work from eight to, you know, whatever yes. it is and or 12, yeah. to whatever that is. And, and, you know, you get these, these places. And I just think this flexibility and really rethinking, I heard a, a manufacturing company uh, here in the Northwest that was uh, put in childcare. That how, that would be huge. How big a deal is that? Yeah. It, it, even if you could just say, I mean, we got big buildings, right? You tell me you can't you can't put something in that's gonna. Even if you had people that were working a four hour shift, and you could take care of any the right worker, the right situation, the right stuff, a couple people take care of 10 or 12 people. What, what could yeah. you do? How could you diversify yeah. your workforce? How can, I mean, it's like, yeah. we gotta, we gotta go beyond the person that's going to be there every single day for eight hours yeah. or has, has can live a life that has no flexibility in it. I mean, I just think we're at that point and I don't think we're going backwards. Yeah, you're right. And, and really quick, one of my clients, uh, one of the things that I pride and, and I, give, uh, I give them a pat on the back for is that recently um, they, as far as training, they don't do it at, at the shop anymore. And, you know, we sat down and, and we looked at this and uh, or at the, at the facility. And so we sat down, we looked at it and said, well, how, how can we be a little bit different here? Because we're, we're losing two ways We're you know, the employees doing training at the facility. So you're paying for for that employee to be there. But beyond that is we have to think that's lost revenue, that's lost time. And then also on the flip side, what if we gave them a bonus for finishing a module at home? Or what if you paid them, you know, two hours for that module at home? One of the things that he started finding at, at Christmas this year, everybody wanted to do training at home because they wanted additional money for Christmas. Yeah. So November, November, December, everybody was pounding through training at home because it was additional money. And yeah. Now, well, that's one of our selling features when we speak with uh, with candidates and, and they, they're like, wow, I get paid for training at, at home. Like, that's a real thing. So um, so they like that because they have that opportunity. It doesn't seem like a big thing because you're going to get paid for it anyway. But it's yeah. just something simple that, you know, that they get extra money. Right. So, yeah, but it's you're right. It's it's lost productive time at work. And if you can do the training at home, it's 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 a win win right there. Absolutely. But those Absolutely. are the kind of things, those are the kind of things, even, mm -hmm. even when you talk about, I, I interviewed Lisa Ryan, um, she's in the U S she speaks with a lot of, uh, manufacturing groups about, uh, retaining talent. Mm -hmm. And she was talking about the experience, the way changing the experience from the time you decide to hire somebody until their first, uh, step into your facility is huge. And she talked about, you know, sending them, sending them a, a, a gift bag or a welcome packet or something like that and how big a deal that is and, and how to work through that. So let, we'll come to that because I think that's cool. But you were talking about something before we got on that I want to go over because I think this is really important. And that's when you're working with clients, you walk through the mm. process with them. Let's talk about what you're doing there, because I think that is that is really cool. We'll talk about connecting people to the business and things like that. But 
talk about walking through this overall candidate process. Yeah, well, when we sit down with our client and we schedule an interview kind of thing. So one of the things that we'll ask is that, um, you know, it's a map of the facility. So we'll have everything kind of prepared for our, our candidate. Um, and it could be a map of the facility, map of the parking lot or whatnot. But we, we want to know what is what does that experience look like? So if I show up at your facility, you know, for a, for a nine o'clock interview, walk me through that so when i drive in the parking lot is there a guest parking lot uh do i park up front which door to go in? how many doors do you have um and, and it's funny because i i get a, i get the same reaction a lot of the times um especially with somebody new it's like well what, what do you want to know all that for well i don't want to have somebody show up 15 minutes early to be 15 minutes late sort of thing because they went in the wrong door or they had to fill out forms or whatever. So when one one of the things that I like about this is when we start walking through the process with our clients, they quickly find, well, we have a hole here. Oh, well, we don't really have a plan there. But really what that process is, is that it's a comfort thing for everybody, right? So, and, and what I mean by that is that right through from, you know, parking your car, which door you go in, any paperwork you have to fill out, who are you going to ask for, um, how many people are in the meeting. And, and that's critical because- yeah. One of the things that some of our clients have done in the past, they've scared candidates off. And and what does that what does that mean? Well, uh, they thought they were meeting one candidate or one uh, one interviewer, and they, there was four people in the room. Well, it, it was intimidating, right? Yeah. So oh, now yeah. it's like, okay, so you're meeting three people, um, and you know this is what this looks like, and then here's the process after the fact. And being in a candidate driven market. That's critical and it's not critical as critical on my end, but it's also critical on your end to share those steps after the interview is over with that candidate. And what does that look like? So that when they leave there in a candidate driven market, you have one kick at the can in most cases to figure out how you want to attract that employee. And the other thing is, is that you know, um, I've kind of skipped over was that if I'm the interviewer, those days of uh, I've got an interview in 20 minutes, so I've got to run downstairs um, and I'll take this resume with it and we'll kind of zip through it. Those days are over. It's how can I how can I speak with that employer or that pros prospective candidate um, without even looking at the resume? So what are some of the questions? So we actually will provide uh, some of our clients uh, different questions based on the resume and the strength of the resume. Um, and what I mean by that is that we'll look at it from um, you know, a cultural fit, behavioral, situational type questions. Those three types of questions are are critical because I may have to ask you all, all kinds of situational types quest, type questions, but the next person, maybe it's all cultural or or whatnot, right? So those types of questions are, you have to think about it in advance. You're not just running to the interview because much like, we used to get the calls from a client. Well, that candidate wasn't ready. Well, he didn't know anything about our company. Well, now the true is also in reverse. What did you know about the candidate? Yes. Right. And when they leave the site, how was that experience? Where they walked to the door? Who brought them to the door? What was the conversation? How was that left? What are the next steps? How soon are you going to be reaching back to the candidate or us for, to reach back to the candidate? And, and we have to stick to that. So, um, you know, those days of, okay, uh, we need a week to two weeks to speak with somebody else. Uh, no, that candidate's gone. That candidate's gone. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's really that whole process needs to be revamped from the client side of the things uh, from side um, versus the candidate. So, yeah. That great stuff in there because you brought up so much. I was thinking, listening as you were talking about it, everything down to the to the interviewers going in there. If you're going to have more than one person in the interview, you better know, hey, you're going to ask about this kind of stuff. I'm asking about this kind of stuff. They're going to ask about that kind of stuff. And and we need to it's a, it's a completely different interview process, isn't it? Because you you said you have to be able to attract the candidate. So you're really, yes, we have to assess skills fit for the position, but you're also then have to go, okay, and how can we differentiate ourselves and how can we ask the right questions for them to tell us what will make them want to come here and then communicate that? A absolutely. So as a, as your recruiter, so if you're, 
manufacturing company ABC today or a pharma company and, you know, you're dealing with an external recruiter, it's like, you know, if I don't see the name on the top or any of that history or, you know, dates or any of that, if I really kind of know their last three jobs and kind of what they've done and, and what they've accomplished, the recruiter needs to be able to supply all the intangibles as well and the tangibles, yeah. right? So what does this look like and what does this hand look like? And when they supply that portfolio or that case to the client, they need to be able to look at that and say, okay, based on what I'm seeing, I'm curious about this. I'm curious about this, but also here's the environment that they're going to be working in. And this manager that they're going to be working for has this type of personality. Uh Oh, but they're also reporting to this person 20% of the time. And they have this type of personality. What is the mesh? What is, what does that look like? And how do we mesh that all together and and those are the types when i talk about cultural or situational oh yeah we need we need to have that plan put together before we even think about bringing this person into the interview so it, it goes both that's ways. incredible the has to do the job and the hiring managers have to do have to do the the job you you in a minute there 40 seconds whatever that was you explained how the recruiter can put make their money over and over and over because seeing that picture, understanding what we need to find out about that candidate based on your conversations with them prior to them coming to the company, based on what you see in the resume, based on what you know about the company. And then your situation with your long-term candidates like that, you or clients, you get to understand the clients well enough so that you can say, you know, Damon's going into this position and I know here's the two, the two supervisors that are going to be there. These are the things. I mean, it's just, it was incredible, man. It was incredible, really, what you just said, because that is how you get the right people in the right place and really understand if, if, if we're hiring a good, a good, getting a good fit between mm-hmm. the, the employee, the potential candidate and the employer. That's Awesome. Awesome. See, if people weren't listening to that, they should stop and go back and listen to that part. Because if your recruiter's not doing that, that's, that's, I mean, it's finding people. That's one thing, but giving them the insight and what you think they should, the, the employer should be asking to make sure it's a good fit. That's valuable. Yeah. That's real value there. Like even from the recruiter side and I'm not, so I, I don't want to speak for recruiters or, or whatnot, and, and I'm not selling anything here, but I'm yeah. like, well, one of our strategies is, so let's say, Damon, we're moving you today across the country, for example. And so when we kind of interview prep you and, and we go through that process with you, you know, it, it's, we want to make sure, A, you understand everything there is about the company. Um, you have information on their website, some of their jobs, uh, some of their changeover, some of their stats, uh, retention, turnover, type of department. Uh, if that position is turned over multiple times, or is it a replacement? Is it uh, an addition? What does that look like? Is there responsibilities? Is there opportunity mm-hmm. for growth? Then we go through and say, okay, what if in order to, con- I'll say to Prince Edward Island, so in order to relocate to Prince Edward Island, what is it that will be important to you? Well, um, you know, do you like sports? Well, if you do, okay, well, you know, I need to make sure that you have, you know, we have a, a hockey team here or university, or you have kids that are going to university. Well, we have a great vet school, we have great culinary, but maybe we don't have kinesiology, for example. Yeah. So all of these things are important to put those links because you're not going to, as a candidate, you don't have the time and you're probably not going to go searching for it. And, and I know people may beat me up on that, but it's it's the truth because I'm coming out of a job or or, or my my work today and I'm jumping into an interview and, and I'm, I'm somewhat prepared, but I don't know necessarily how to prepare, right? Because yeah. the reality is, is that I don't need to do a lot of preparation because if you don't make me an offer today, the guy across the street is going to make me an offer. Sorry for saying that, but right now that is a reality in the candidate driven mm-hmm. market. So, so if we were to kind of back that up a little bit, if we put everything right there for you from, you know, what are your recreational type activities? Do you like beaches or golf or hot sport, whatever, yeah, whatever and, it is. And yeah. So we put that in there. And then from there, 
we will also make sure we'll tell the client we've done this. You can ask them some questions on that to make sure they've done their due. And even real estate agents, we put three real estate agents, we put an accountant and we put two, uh, two lawyers in and even right down to that. And, and we want the client to ask them if they've done their research. And that's an important piece, both mm -hmm. ways. And, and, but that's an opportunity for you to really get to know each other and ask about the area and, and the company and all that stuff. But it goes, it is a two way street, but the recruiter needs to go that distance for sure. Yeah. And there's a lot more to it than that, but they need to. No, you make, you make good points though, too, because that could be in a, in a candidate driven market, that could be the separator, right? If, if my kids, uh, 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 you know, got dreams of being an NHL hockey player and you've got a good program in the area where you're at and the other place doesn't, you might be the one that wins. Absolutely. And, and these kind of things are very important and making it easier because especially moving, I've done it a couple of times and moving across the country or across, you know, across North America is, is no small feat in, in both just the difficulty in doing it, but then the toll it takes on a family, at least in the initial. So, yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome advice. So people listening can get some, get some real tips on, on, uh, what they want to find in a recruiter or they can contact you when we get to the end. We'll talk about this. Tavita says she is loving this guy. I do too. And I knew Andrew was going to be good after our other, our conversation prior to this. And because you're also part of manufacturing masters, which yeah. is where we originally met. And if you're in manufacturing, you know what manufacturing masters is. I think you should look it up. <laughs> so there's a lot of good people in there. So, this is what we're, we're getting close. Oh, God, we're at 45 minutes already. And I'm like, oh man, we could talk a long time on this. So let's, let's wrap up with this. We're going to talk just a couple things. things. Uh, we talked about this a, a little bit, but what do you think some of the things that the companies that you see that are really doing a good job of making change, what a couple things that you see them do that maybe some others aren't doing that they should really consider? Well, that's a bit of a loaded question for sure. Um, there's there's a lot of different, like people are just trying to be creative right now and they're trying to find their own way. And again, it's it's what separates you. It can be the smallest things. It can be, you know, like I have one client came to me today and they said, Andrew, if it make, we really want this person, if it makes sense, if it, we know that they're an active person and we'll give them a gym membership. Well, it, it's little things like that, but it's not just the one-offs. It's like, you know, how can, how can you change the culture? How can you, how can you change? Because if, if you do that for me today, that I'm going to tell more people about that. Well, if you're athletic or whatever, you're going to, you're going to take advantage of that. So, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, that's just one thing. And, and again, it's not all about money, but it's about sitting back, communicating, having conversation and trying to be proactive and really listening to entry level positions because a lot of entry level positions can cost a lot of money really, really, really quick. And, and that can be the stall in your production because let's face it, the entry level pos uh, positions, that's where your production's coming from. Usually not at the top, it's usually your entry mm -hmm. level. So, you know, have regular conversations, meeting, toolbox meeting, a pizza, once a quarter, an award or something, safety award, whatever it is, but just what is it that's going to separate little, like small wins, small wins. That's the best way that I can say it. You don't need to, you know, have a home run every single time that you want to change something, but it's about that small win. But one of the things is, is that when we're speaking with the team, it's that, you know, just look, just look at the, look, look at the full picture and listen to staff listen to staff they're going to talk to you and usually if one person says it everybody else or a lot of others are going to say it or some others at least are going to say it and then you can start to say sift through some of that because maybe not all employees yeah. are going to say everything um but you're going to quickly find out a lot of information really really quick from the floor and that's where yeah. a lot of your information and your small wins can come from so yeah Awesome. I'm trying awesome to be politically advice. correct on that one. Awesome advice. Awesome advice though. No, it is. You, you, you have to, you have to listen to people and, and, and really ask. And I think that's honestly in business, you know, in, in the employer driven markets, it's, it's, you know, we're doing what we need to do to get what we need. 
and and now the, the the tables being flipped as they are you really as you said how can you change to be more attractive to people to come to work where you're at what are what are some of the things you can do and just attract more of the people that you want by getting better and, and it comes from listening to them the people you've got and maybe making some changes to make it better for them and yeah. Or, or even like from a candidate side, the small win for them could be a little like my job is, I don't know, let's say I, I'll say packaging, for example, because that's an easy one. Well, yeah. maybe I want to, you know, maybe I want to run a machine or maybe I want to learn more about autom the automation process or, or whatnot. Yeah. So, you know, if I'm sitting there doing packaging for the next two years, I'm probably going to get bored. Um, and, and nothing against packaging. I'm saying in general, yeah. I mean the same thing with my hands every single day. Yeah. So it could be the small win of having the conversation. Well, I have an interest in Sally's position over there. Maybe, you know, for a few hours a day, could we just kind of trade off just, just to wake yeah. up or just different set of eyes or whatever, like yeah. little things like that. Like it will go a long way. And the other side to that is actually one of my pharma companies, they actually trade some of those positions not too often, but every now and then they'll they'll uh, swap positions a bit. They say that it refreshes the the candidate. Believe it or not, it's a refresher for them. Yeah, yep, that's a good that's a good good point because moving around and flexibility and 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 changing up the workforce because what'll happen as you know and this happens notorious for happening in accidents is you can work around very dangerous equipment and you don't you don't realize because you can move this big thing with your finger that it weighs two tons and if you get it get pinched between something it's gonna crush you you know it's and, and people see that and they they understand that when they go to work in other places and come back again otherwise you don't get so familiar but Anyway, Andrew, it's been awesome having you here today. We could go on a lot longer about this, but solving uh, the solving manufacturing hiring challenges, you've given a lot of gold, you know, a lot of gold advice here. Differentiate yourself, make yourself mm -hmm. better for, for people to come to work where work there. Take care of your entry-level people because that turnover is eating you alive. And then make sure you're talking to your people and asking them what's going well, what's not going well, and make it better for them. So, Absolutely. And think situational, behavioral, and cultural yeah. questions during your interview process. It will help. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Thanks so much for being here. I want to thank Tavita. Thanks to you for the, the comments. Mike, for being here. Thanks so much. It's just been great, great having you today, Andrew. Oh, and you were on you were on target there <laughs> thank yeah. you you're, you're being thank generous you. thank you <laughs> <laughs> all right well today we're talking with andrew lavoy next level group he's an hr got an hr recruiting and consulting company people can connect with you on linkedin andrew is that a good place yes absolutely yes or absolutely. next level group and what's the website uh nlgrp.com so nlgrp.com or on linkedin okay all right. Well, and your link will be in our, our show notes and be on our blog post when this comes out. But thanks, everyone, for being here today. Thank you, Andrew. And we will be back again later this week with another show. All right. Thanks, Bye. Damon. Thank you to the guests.